Hello. Thank you for taking time to join us in this, our final class in the series on 1st and 2nd Peter. My name is Bob Lawrence, one of the Bible class teachers here at the Anchorage Church of Christ, and I'm glad you've chosen to join us, and especially for those of you that have joined us for this last year. This is the final class in what we'll call the Pandemic Lectures. Uh, we've tried to pre-record and provide Bible class uh, over the last year so that you, throughout this year of pandemic, have had a chance to stay engaged in reading your Bible and in studying your Bible. And I hope that in some small way, the classes that have been presented have been helpful at keeping you in the habit of reading Scripture. This week, we turn to the very last chapter of 2 Peter, and if you have a Bible and would like to turn there, we'll be in 2 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to allow Peter to help us answer one of the hardest questions that has ever been asked of anyone who chooses to follow Christ, of anyone who chooses to believe in, in God. Remember that when we read through 1 Peter, Peter wrote to originally a group of churches in what is modern-day Turkey, but by extension, he was writing to us too, and he said, that any of you who choose to follow Christ can be expected to be misunderstood and to be maligned and to be mistreated. And some of you will even be persecuted because you choose to follow Christ. And Peter says, don't be surprised at that. Don't be surprised at a fiery trial that you have to go through because you choose to follow Christ. Instead, he says, you hang in there. You continue to be a good citizen to be a good worker, to be a good husband and a good wife and a, a good friend and a good neighbor and a good member of your Christ community. You continue to follow Christ because in the end, God will confirm you and strengthen you and establish you. In other words, God will eventually make everything right again. So don't give up. That was the message of his first letter. And then we turn to 2 Peter, and we hear Peter say multiple times, I'm writing to you a reminder. And he says specifically, I'm reminding you of something that you have heard now for hundreds, maybe even thousands of years. First of all, from the prophets, and then you heard this from Jesus, and now you're hearing it from the apostles. And Peter says that message is that God will make things right again. And so Peter writes, and he says, you have this faith, you have this firm conviction in what he calls the righteousness of God, or the making things right again of God. So when you hear that term righteous, we'll talk about this in a minute, think of the word justice, the, the making of things right again. And that's what brings us to Second uh, Peter chapter 3, when Peter answers this question, if God is going to make the world right again, why has he not done it yet? Well, the question that Peter's answering actually goes back several thousand years. At the same time that Peter was writing this letter, there was a group of philosophers in that part of the world that were called the Epicureans. Now, the Epicureans were famous for saying, you should live your life in such a way as to maximize pleasure. In fact, they said the whole purpose of life, true happiness, was found in finding the maximum pleasure at the maximum intensity for the maximum number of people. And they said that was the goal. That was what real happiness entailed. But they recognized that everybody had this one inborn fear. 
and it was the fear of God. And so it was the Epicureans that came up with the first articulated argument against the existence of God. And it went something like this. If God is all good and all powerful, how is it that evil and suffering could still exist? And Peter, some theologians say, is answering that question with this passage that we read today. Now think about that. If you had the power to do so, would you get rid of all that causes evil and suffering in the world? You know, there's basically five or six causes of all the different types of evil and suffering in the, in the world. And, and these are well known and they're documented throughout history. Uh, the things that cause suffering are things like injustice and oppression or malnutrition, not having enough to eat or lack of access to clean water or homelessness or exposure. And as we've learned in the last year, one way to affect the entire world is by illness sickness or infectious infectious disease. And these are the five or six causes of evil that have always plagued human beings from the beginning of time. And, and these were well documented throughout scripture. In fact, you read about them in, in Isaiah, when Isaiah is talking about fasting. He says, this is the whole reason God established fasting, so that you could pay attention to these causes of evil and suffering, like oppression and injustice and hunger and exposure. And then Jesus articulates these very same things again in Matthew chapter 25, when he says, whenever you take care of the hungry, thirsty, naked stranger who happens to be sick or in prison, whatever you do for one of those least of, of these, you've done it for me. And notice how Jesus mentions those very same causes of evil and suffering. So here's the question. If you had the power to get rid of all those causes of evil and suffering in the world, would you do it? Would you get rid of injustice? Would you get rid of oppression or hunger? Would you provide clean drinking water? Would you get rid of infectious diseases like coronavirus? Would you, would you eradicate the earth from all that causes evil and suffering? I think you would. And the reason that you would is because you are good. And because you are good, if you were given the power to do so, you would get rid of these causes of evil. So the question is, if that's true, why doesn't God get rid of evil and suffering? If God is truly good and he's all-powerful, why does evil and suffering still exist? That's basically the challenge made by the Epicureans in the very time that Peter was writing. And they said, basically, that if God is all good and evil still exists, then, like you, he must not be all-powerful because he can't get rid of evil in the world. And others would say, well, if God is all-powerful, but he still allows evil to exist, then he must not be all good because clearly evil still exists. And if God is neither all good nor all powerful, then why do you even call him God? And so you see their argument. And do you know that is still the most powerful argument against the existence of God even today? 2,000 years after Peter wrote his answer to that question, you, you still 
have that same challenge and that same question today. So I wonder how would a fisherman from northern Israel who happened to spend time with Jesus answer that, the, the hardest of all philosophical questions, how is it that an all-good and all-powerful God continues to allow evil and suffering to exist? Why does he do that? Would you like to hear Peter's answer? Turn to 2 Peter chapter 3, and let's hear how Peter answers this question, writing a few decades after he had walked with and learned first from Jesus. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. So you just heard the three people that have been passing on this promise and this message that God is going to make the world right again. The holy prophets, Jesus himself, through these apostles, knowing, this is verse 3, this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own evil desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and it perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. So Peter starts his answer by saying, there is one thing, that those who are called here scoffers or skeptics, there's one thing that they deliberately overlook. They forget the history of the world and they fail to see the future. You know, those who forget their history are doomed to repeat it. And Peter says that, that there are some who deliberately forget that the world itself has existed for a very long time. And he says there was a time when the earth that then existed was totally washed, was totally cleansed by this water. He's referring to the flood. When the world that once existed is not the world that exists right now. The world that once existed was totally cleaned away and restarted a new earth set up with uh, Noah and his family populating the earth and all the animals that God had preserved. But you remember the whole earth was washed by water. And Peter says, the earth that is now and what exists now is not what will exist in the future because what exists right now is being saved up for another cleansing. And that cleansing will be done by fire. And this is where Peter turns to the answer and he says, that's what they overlook. Now you, you, verse 8, do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that anyone should perish, but that all should reach repentance. 
But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Well, did you hear Peter's answer to the question? Why is it that an all-good and all-powerful God would allow evil and suffering to exist? And Peter says, don't overlook what many people overlook. Don't you overlook the element of time. He says here, remember that for the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. Now, Peter is writing that a few decades after Jesus says, The Son of Man will return. One day Jesus will come back and God will will remake the heavens and the earth into the new heavens and a new earth. And Peter's writing this several decades after that. And and he's telling people that, yes, it seems like it's been a few years now, but remember that a a day with the Lord is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. Now, here we are over 2,000 years later. So we're uh, approaching 2,000 years. And we still might say, When is the Lord going to keep this promise? And God has every right to say, what do you mean, wait? It's only been a couple days, you know, because for God, it's uh, time is, is something that doesn't pass the way that it does necessarily for us. But what you should not miss, and what Peter says don't miss, is an addition to the question. The Epicureans would say, how is it that an all-good and all-powerful God can allow evil to exist. Because if God is neither all-good nor all-powerful, he cannot be God because evil and suffering exist. But they forget to add the one word that introduces the element of time, and that is the word, yet. When you ask the question, why is it that an all-good and all-powerful God allows evil to exist, you have to add at the end, why has he not gotten rid of evil and suffering in the world yet. And Peter gives us the answer, and he says, because God is patient, patiently waiting for something. So run this own experiment in your own, in your own home, in the room that you're in right now. Just run this thought experiment. What if, what if for just a moment, you could run the experiment and see what it would be like if God, right here, right now, got rid of all evil and all suffering not in the whole world, that would be much too dramatic. What if he were to get rid of evil and suffering only in the room in which you're standing? Imagine for just a minute that God moves from one side of the room to the other and you get to watch it. You get to see this whole thing happen when God gets rid of all causes of evil and suffering in that room in which you stand. Would you stay to watch that experiment as you see God move through the room and get rid of everything that is a cause of evil or harm or suffering? Or would you politely excuse yourself and get out of the room? And if you did leave, why would you leave? It's because you realize that evil is not just something that's out there somewhere in the world. 
Evil is something that is right here. And if God were to get rid of all the evil and all the suffering in the world, in all honesty, he would have to get rid of me too. Because I am one of the causes of evil and suffering in the world. And Peter points that out. And he says that you don't don't think of God as being slow, as some people count slowness. He is being patient with you. Because it's God's will that no one should perish, but Peter says here that everyone should make room for repentance. The word repentance there means a change of mind. And it doesn't mean just change their mind about a subject. It means change their mind about who they follow, about increasing their knowledge of Jesus Christ, of following Jesus. And why is God patient? To give you time to change who you follow. And it's that faith in the way God changes people that allows God to change you, to make you right again. And Peter says that that's the reason that God has not made the whole world right again. But don't be mistaken. One day God will destroy everything that exists the way that you know it. It will be totally washed again by fire so that all remains is that which is right and good. And that's how Peter ends this passage by saying at the very end that once the world has been destroyed in this way and everything has been dissolved, he says, we will receive his promise. We who are waiting for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. So hear that final line that the new heavens, the new earth, the eternity for which we hope and we wait is a place where, and he brings up this word, righteousness, where righteousness lives, where righteousness dwells. Well, that word righteousness uh, is, is not just the word that you would use for uh, moral goodness. It's the word in the ancient world that was used for the word justice. When things are made right, when, thing, when justice is served uh, and things are, are made right again, in the ancient world, they used the very same word that here is translated as the word righteous. And so Peter brings us to the end of that, the answer to the question. And he says, we have a promise that one day God is going to make the whole world right again. And that includes you. And when God makes the whole world right again and everything that is a cause of evil and suffering is wiped away, what's left is you in a new heaven and a new earth where Everything that is right dwells. And that's the hope that you and I have. Well, Peter wrote those words towards the end of his life. In fact, it wasn't long after this that he would have been killed by Nero. But he was killed having penned a letter to a group of people who were following the same path of him as him, recognizing that death is not the end. This world that exists right now is not the world that will be. And it's that new heavens, the new earth, the home of all that is right that we hope for. And somebody who read this letter made a copy of it. And they passed that copy to someone else. And that person who received the copy uh, read the letter. And it was so important to them that they made a copy and they shared it with someone else. And over the decades and over the years and over the centuries, copies upon copies and more copies of this letter have been made all over the world 
And eventually it was translated into languages all over the world, including English, so that you could go back and read this whole letter again and read where Peter says that you, as a person who has faith in God's rightness, in God's righteousness, can have this hope that when God makes the world right again, that includes you. And so I'll end our class in 2 Peter with really this encouragement. Take time today to go back and just read the letter of 2 Peter, the way that it was meant to be read, and allow that message to wash over you. And now you'll know what to look for in terms of Peter's answer to one of the most important questions in all of history. But let me end with Peter's very words as he ends the letter itself with a prayer for you. May you, as Peter says here, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen.